Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, I need to shout out my patrons, Callum, Robert, Matthew, Jay, Paul, Tobias, Carol, Benjamin, Fernando, Justin, Matt, and Joaquin. Thanks a ton for supporting the show and making this all possible. Also, I'm excited to share a new charity I'm going to be donating a percentage of my ad and patron money to moving forward, which is going to directly impact the TTRPG industry. It's called Diversity Saves. It's a nonprofit organization created by a collection of BIPOC and LGBTQIA plus members of the TTRPG community who are committed to promoting and uplifting marginalized communities in the tabletop role-playing game industry. Through fundraising, they are going to try to host educational seminars on diversity and inclusion, as well as provide grants to creators in need of help funding their latest projects and creations. So they're going to take the money that is donated to them and they're going to run seminars like they said and also the grants are going to go out to actual people who are out there making games working on projects specifically so yeah i'm really excited to work on that thank you to daniel gonzalez for giving me some more information on that and thank you to kaya as well for putting that on my radar those two folks are part of the board of the charity itself so diversity saves i'll put some information in my link tree and you can go check their twitter account out their website out and you can find um, a way to help them out too I was able to set up a recurring donation, so that's one of the options they have. You can send them a few dollars a month if you like, or you can do a lump sum, whatever you are able to contribute. Also, if you fit into the category of a BIPOC or LGBTQIA plus TTRPG designer and you are in need of help completing your project, then I would hit them up soon and you might be able to get one of their grants and help make your dream come to life. So yeah, check that out. I think it's a really worthwhile cause and I'm excited to support something that's kind of in the tabletop gaming sphere. I really did enjoy the support I could give to my local charity here in Utah for LGBTQIA plus youth and circle, but I feel like Diversity Saves kind of fills the niche of the community here, and I think that that makes it that much more important to support and that much more effective a way to donate some of the dollars I make from the show. So yeah, check that out. Diversity Saves, definitely worth your time. The last thing I want to say before we get started is that there's been a lot of stuff going around the internet in the past few weeks. I'm recording this on a Saturday night, the week before this episode comes out. So more news may have come out. But as of recording, um, Wizards has released a statement sometime today, Friday, about the OGL and about how they are still working on the version that they will release. And then they have heard the community and the feedback. A lot of frustration surrounding that because a lot of people feel like Wizards has been dishonest. But the bottom line I want to let everybody know is that I support Open D&D and I support third-party publishers. Having just gotten into the third-party publishing world myself, I know how important it is to have the open game license and how important it is to a lot of people's livelihoods. So yeah, I just want to make my stance clear that I am for Open D&D couple things you can do if you want to show wizards you mean business is you can go cancel your D&D Beyond account. I want to be clear though, I do not blame anybody who I know who works at Wizards or who has partnered with Wizards in the past or is currently partnered with them because this was not their decision. So I want to emphasize to all of you to continue to be civil to Wizards employees because this is not their fault and they are having to deal with the fallout just like the rest of us. And I think that many, if not most of them, also disagree with these choices but are having to live with it. And they're in a difficult position because either their job or their partnership with Wizards helps put food on their table and helps put a roof over their head. So that's what I want to say about that is um, we need to support the people who work there. We need to hold Wizards accountable, the company itself, not the people who work there. With any luck, this has been resolved by the time this comes out and this is meaningless, but just want to make sure that everybody knows where I stand and that I am really hopeful for the future. A lot of other companies coming forward saying they're going to be working together or creating their own game systems, I think is going to be uh, really fun and exciting to see what everyone comes up with in the year 2023. So. That is all of my thoughts there. Sorry for this extended intro bit, but hopefully that was interesting to some of you. And let's go ahead and dive into our guest intro now. Vahid, DM of Dice Legends, decided to take his field of expertise to a new level and build an actual play show in his home country of New Zealand. 
Using his background in creating soundtracks and sound effects and also writing for television, he found a way to combine all of those things into an amazing product that's enjoyed everywhere. When not running Dice Legends or working his day job, Vahid can be found streaming himself creating epic music from scratch, which is truly amazing to watch his genius at work. Enjoy! I'm Vahid, I am the producer and the dungeon master of a live stream Dungeons and Dragons show called Dice Legends. We take it seriously, but we have a truckload of fun. In terms of my backstory and how I got into D&D &D and TTRPGs in the first place, I actually started when I was seven years old. So I have played every single edition of Dungeons and Dragons that there is. My mom gave me the red box set as a gift because our neighbor, one of his mom's friends was playing at university and we had no idea what we were doing. It was completely freestyled, but we knew that there were skeletons and there were fighters. And then my mom got me the box set. And so that's how we began, right from the beginning. He was our first DM. He was a year older than me, so he was so mature at eight years old. And so he would make up adventures and it was basically him just drawing a map on a piece of paper and saying, okay, there's skeletons here, fight them. And that was pretty much the plot. That was the characterization as well. <laughs> I mean, what more do you need, right? Exactly. So it was all about kicking open the door, killing the monster, getting the loot, going up the levels. Except at the beginning, we didn't even know what levels were. And in the red box set, if you were an elf, that defined not only your race, but also the class that you were, you know? So it was a much more limited palette to choose from in terms of characters. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm at least familiar with that concept. Amazing. So. Your intro was quite young, and did you keep playing through your childhood into adulthood, or were there periods of breaks between at any point? Thanks to my extended family, who are all interested in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and my brother, sister, and myself were always interested in fantasy and medieval stuff, and we get things out of the library and trace pictures because we didn't have photocopiers. So we were always interested in fantasy, and so we did D&D &D with my sister, my brother, and myself through our entire childhood, into our teenage years, and all the way through adulthood, we've always been playing, especially my brother and myself. My sister is no longer in the same city as us, but my brother and I, we play all the time. We still have a regular group that gets together, and we've introduced all of our friends to it. It's been a real core thread through our adolescence and adult lives. At the moment, we're playing 5th edition, but we also do other games as well. I ran a campaign with my brother and friends of the D6 Star Wars role-playing game. Have you ever played that? No, I actually have a book of the Legacy or Saga edition. That's right. So it's a D20 system that was a precursor to 5e written by Chris Perkins, I believe, or designed by Chris Perkins as like a way to test out what they were going to do for 5e, which is interesting. But I've heard of the D6 system for Star Wars. Lots of people talk about it. I know it exists and I know it's got like the special dice, right, with different symbols and stuff on it that are different than your regular D6s. The one that we did, we played this one. It was from a British company, West End Games, just straight dice. And it was all about lots of dice. As you went up in levels, you got more and more dice. I still think it is the fastest action game role-playing game. So I did that, but I modified it for a post-apocalyptic setting based here in New Zealand. So that, for example, that's another game that we've done, but we've done other games. We've done superhero games. We do all sorts of games, but fifth edition is currently what we've been playing. That's fun. I've got a whole shelf full of books and a whole Google Drive full of PDFs that I have yet to get to, but I will someday. That's the goal. How did you transition from playing games to running games? Did it happen shortly after playing with your friend? Or did it take a while for you to decide to take on the mantle of DM? It was pretty easy. Being the eldest sibling, once we moved away from this friend of ours who was running the games, we wanted to continue. And who's going to do it? Well, the oldest sibling's going to do it, of course, right? Because they're the bossy ones. And right. so... <laughs> I am an eldest as well, so we can say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just took it on and had no idea what I was doing, of course. But in those first editions of D&D, it didn't even matter because all you needed was a map and you said, okay, there's going to be some goblins in this room here. There was no plot involved. So actually, it was pretty easy in those days being a DM. There was no expectation of acting at all. You didn't have to create characters. It was actually much simpler to DM because in many ways you were kind of facilitating a war game rather than actually a role-playing game. When do you feel like you 
made the full transition then into storytelling as part of the game? As a teenager, definitely. Because a whole bunch of other games were coming out in different settings, and they became much more story-driven. Later TPT RPGs came out, they were much more story-based and more character-based. And so really in the middle teens, we all got much more interested in characterization and starting to do voices. And people started publishing little articles on how to design characterization for your character. Like, okay, between cautious and courageous, where is your character on a scale of one to 10? And they started doing these simple things to help all of us nerdy, geeky guys to create more character. And then that created more story. The question that the show kind of revolves around is about the mistakes you feel like you've made and the lessons that you can pass on to the rest of us. So I'd love to know what are some of the big mistakes you feel like you've made behind the screen. Could be in home games, could be part of your stream, Dice Legends, could be anything in between. For me personally, I've made so many mistakes over many, many years. From getting rules wrong, to not pacing things correctly, to assembling teams of players who don't get on well with each other, that's a big one. I think my biggest single mistake was forcing a friend of mine to come along, and he wasn't interested in the first place. And he just sat scouring in the corner, scowling, I should say, not scouring, and making snide remarks and insulting the rest of us for being such nerds. That was probably a big mistake trying to get people that aren't actually interested to do it. But in terms of running games, I think getting the right balance of preparation. I think it's important to prepare a lot, but there's definitely been times when I have not prepared enough. And that usually for me is around plot stuff, motivation. If I haven't really figured out what the motivation for the significant non-playing characters are, then the story can become really inconsistent. And it can confuse the players. What the heck are we supposed to be doing now? Or why would they want to do this? Why would they do that? It doesn't make sense. Exactly. Kind of thing. So being inconsistent with my, pre sorry, I should preface it that having been doing dungeon mastering for so long, I'd only do homebrew now. I don't do modules anymore. Right. If you're running modules, awesome. That's the way I've did it for the first 20 years of my DMing experience. And I think the modules now that are out are just so amazing. And that's definitely the way to go. It helps to overcome a lot of the problems that I've had. One of the big problems that I've had is a lot of people talk about making, doing too much preparation. I don't think there's a problem with preparing too much, but there is a problem with becoming fixated on specific elements of preparation. So if I'm preparing something and I really, 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 really want them to go to a specific scene or have a specific encounter, or I spend two hours making up a whole bunch of traps and a map, well then I'm gonna railroad my players into it. So the danger for me is to not become fixated with specific elements of the preparation. Because I think that railroading then takes away the player's ownership of the choices that they make. It's a delicate balance that you've got to strike, right? You want to keep things as open-ended as possible so that whatever choices they make, you can go along with it and keep things interesting and decide how the world reacts and how everything changes based on their choices. But also you want to make sure that you've got interesting stuff for them to encounter, right? Yeah. If you're just waiting for them to make choices and then you've got to make it up as they decide, I feel like it's a little bit of a disservice. Like you want to have prepared and thought about some things so that when they encounter them, it's interesting. And like you said, you've got good motivation for people and you're consistent in the way you're telling the story. But yeah, you don't want to be too rigid and force them to do all of the things you planned. It's definitely a balance. I find that communication is kind of the key core to that for my tables, at least like, where are you going next? What do you want to do? What are you interested in? Okay, great. That gives me at least like a 15 degree view of what to prepare ahead of us instead of trying to prep everything at 180 degrees, both left and right. Like they could go anywhere. That's kind of how I see it. And I find that actually time between sessions is a great time to talk to the players individually yes. and say, hey, where do you think your character is going now? And then to get some ideas. And because ours is a show, I'm not afraid of being really obvious and saying, hey guys, where do you guys think you're going next? Because I need to prepare for our show next week. Where do you guys think you're going? And I might even toss some ideas at them. 
so that I can then prepare things. Because there's nothing worse than doing a whole bunch of preparation that doesn't engage the players. If not advancing their character's motivation and engaging with that, then you're kind of missing it. One of the things that one of our players named Truby, one of the things he said I think is really good, he said that a bit of railroading at the beginning of a session is fine because the players want to know where to start, where to go. They don't want to be just, uh, I don't know, uh, what do you think we should do? Uh, should we go to the well? Uh, I don't know, maybe we should go to the corn patch. They want to know what to do to be active at the beginning, but then they also want to know that their actions are causing the adventures. And I thought that was a quite a good way of doing it, to have a bit more specific preparation for the beginning, but then be prepared to improvise as the session unfolds. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Going back to your earlier point, I am a huge proponent, like you said, of communicating in between sessions. And that really helped me focus my prep as well. And I love it. It's a great way to check in with them, see if where the story is going is interesting, and that they've got ideas for what they want to explore further. That just helps everybody, honestly. It's such a good way to do it. And I feel like it would be hard to do if your players didn't trust you. So if you're the kind of DM who takes what they tell you and then flips it on them and just ruins everything, then yeah, of course, they're going to stop telling you what they're doing. And they're going to have their private chat where they're like plotting against you. So some give and take. And I think (laughs) some games really kind of deliberately set up and there's nothing wrong with this as the DM versus the players, right? That it is a contest of the players trying to survive whatever the DM throws at them. And that's classic D&D, to be honest. <laughs> that's how it all began. Our show, the Dice Legend show, is not that. Our show is an unfolding, exciting fantasy story. And so we want plot to be going through, and we want to all be proponents of that story. Yeah, I think there's a reason why there are very few actual plays, if any, that are just meat grinder dungeon crawls, because that's not an interesting story. It could be fun. But as far as like narratively satisfying, it definitely is not that. So (laughs) it makes me want to try to make a show like that just to see (laughs) see if it would work. I don't know. I probably wouldn't want to put the time and effort in. The only game system that I know that works really well like that is a game system called Paranoia, where you have six clones and it's a meat grinder. And when your clone dies, the plot still continues because you just come back as a next clone. You don't have to start from the beginning of the dungeon again. Yeah, friend computer just pops out and gives you another one. Yeah, yeah, good times. My friend Fiona from What Am I Rolling and the DMs Book Club, she recently published an actual play of Paranoia that was super fun to listen to and just so ridiculous. It is so much fun. Actually, and not my brother and friends, we've done a Paranoia session and it is just so fun because that's not just the DM versus the players, that's everyone against everyone right everyone's snitching on each other and then saying they're traitors and yeah oh man it's so ridiculous can you think of a time in your career of running games where a player threw a wrench in one of your plans something that you could not have seen coming if you had spent hundreds of hours prepping and kind of how you dealt with that so this is going to be a reference specifically to our Dice Legends stream. Slight spoilers, but it's this takes place way back in episode eight. The whole idea when we started this campaign was that we had four humble town guards and this grand walled city facing up against the forces of darkness. And I had in my mind that these guys were going to advance and then they were going to become from town guards to the elite guards called the Indigo Guards. And I had some NPCs lined up that would train them, this really cool monk woman. I had this really cool storyline in my mind. It was going to go there and there and there. I had a rival group of NPCs who were just a little bit better than them. No, it was going to be so beautiful. And then the two chaotic players (laughs) stole (laughs) something. And I just couldn't let it go. I couldn't justifiably allow, after they started a bar fight, And in the same episode, stole an expensive map. I just couldn't let it go. And I had to kick them out of the town guards. There goes my entire (laughs) storyline. In one episode, chaotic players are like, is there a fence in this story? If I go over the fence, what happens? And two of our players are fence jumpers. (laughs) And so episode eight, two months into the campaign. Oh my goodness. Had to rewrite the campaign. Well, not rewrite it. But I had to take a bit and a whole bunch of 
NPCs, a whole bunch of scenes that I had thought were going to be so cool. Never see the light of day. Powerful lesson, though. Like you said earlier, focusing your prep too much and having too many ideas, and then that's what happens. But props to you for sticking to it and making it work. A much less seasoned DM could be forgiven for saying, eh, I'm just going to hand wave it and they're going to do what I planned anyway. And everyone's going to have fun because I demanded it. So yeah, I think it's a testament to your flexibility and your experience to be able to pull that off. During the show, while because we're streaming it live, right? So we've got an audience in front of us. I can't just stop and say, now guys, are you sure you want to do this? Because I prepared a whole bunch of other stuff that's going to be really cool that we won't be able to. I can't do that. And I had this internal battle. But my first thought was to say, stop, please, guys, don't. But anyway. I'm sure you love having a live video playback of that. Whenever you need to, you can go watch yourself. Just watch your processor overheat as you're like, uh, what do I do about this? Oh, man. Players. Can't live with them. Can't live without them. Yeah. There's a quote. Something like, no good story goes unspoiled when in contact with players or something like that. So you mentioned all of your story for the past while anyway, all of the games you've run have all been homebrew. Do you have any particular homebrew rules or ideas that you use a lot that you really enjoy that you feel like add to your games? I think the main kind of setting thing is I think it's good to define how magic works in the world because that just plays such a massive part of a fantasy role-playing game or a horror role-playing game. What are the bounds of supernatural in this campaign? And I think that can be modified even in something like 5e. For example, in our Dice Legends setting, it's a low magic setting. In this vast city, this grand walled city, there's like 200 registered wizards. There's only 200 people that have legally registered themselves as having arcane power. And so it means that There's a whole bunch of things that have gone along with that. And I've basically, I've thrown out components, having to buy components and things. So there's a whole bunch of homebrews that I do. But I think the first thing is to define what are the rules of magic in this? Am I going core fifth edition, which is fine? Or do we want to flavor it for our world? So that's one thing. And so I'm not a big fan of resurrection. I would rather have, if people die, they die. And I'd rather there be consequences that are worse than death. I think it's more interesting to have characters have to live with circumstances that are worse than them dying from a story point of view. So I almost always change resurrection because I don't want characters to be able to just pop up, pop up, pop up. It is a little video gamey, isn't it? Yeah, because by the time you get to ninth level, the component cost of being resurrected is nothing to the average party. It's meaningless. So that's one homebrew is I almost always change how easy or hard it is to bring people back from the dead. I always make consequences, game and character consequences, if that has happened. And if you watch our show, you'll see that there has been a time when something has happened and it has had huge implications for character. Because I don't want it to be a little blithe little thing. Another thing is, and this is a rule thing, we don't do initiative in 5e in our games. I didn't invent that concept, someone else did. And I find it to be a much faster, seamless process for a show. Hey guys, you turn around the corner and there's a mind flare. Okay, can everyone roll initiative, please? What did you get? A 15. Oh, I got a six. Oh, I got a three. It just really interrupts the flow. So we have a system where the people around the table are the initiative order. And unless they're surprised, the heroes, because they're heroes, always go first. That's a homebrew that we always do. Yeah, and honestly, like you said, for a live show, instead of slowing things down and taking five minutes to get it all set up, yeah, just jump into it. And I feel like that would be a lot more engaging to watch as well, right? So great example. And also, sorry, just on that point, part of the rationale behind that, look, I've played some basketball. And in my experience, people that have better reflexes than me always have better reflexes than me. (laughs) Yeah. On a given day, I am not all of a sudden better at reflexes than someone else. Unless they've really, really had a hard night or, you know, five minutes later when we play a second game of basketball, I'm not suddenly faster, you know? So we always assume if you've got a high dex, you're always going to be faster than the cleric who's got a low dex. So that's what we do. I like that too. And the reasoning behind it makes sense logically. 
like you said, unless they are exhausted or whatever, the odds are that they're still going to perform better than you if they yeah. always do. I like it. As far as favorite moments that you can think of from your games, again, this is from any game, could be Dice Legends memories or could be memories from any of your other home games that you played. What are some that stick out in your mind as really fun or epic or meaningful or emotional that are great examples of the magic of tabletop role-playing games? This is a little bit of a spoiler. This is a spoiler from about halfway through our first campaign. So I'll try to be a little bit oblique as I say it. (laughs) But I had mentioned before that one of the characters in Dice Legends had suffered a fate worse than death and was really grieving. I had set up a scene where there was on a stealth mission, it was a reconnaissance mission, it was really obvious that the forces that they were going up against were overwhelmingly in the bad guy's favor, okay? All they need to do is they need to get in, get the information, and report back to the bosses back on the home base. That's all they do. Well, this character saw the cause of his character's pain and just charged into battle. Now, the person that had caused this pain was the big bad guy. And everyone knew that they were all going to die. And in a clutch moment, he rolled a natural 20 followed by another natural 20 and took out the big bad guy. What do you do? Right? We're doing this live. I can't fluff it. I can't say, oh, look, dudes, you know, it had to be something significant. And so it was just this incredible moment of a character, an actor, playing his character, role-playing this inner anguish, doing things that no one expected, but was perfectly in character, turning the tides through the perfect combination of roles, the perfect support by the other players, taking out the big bad guy like 15 episodes before he was supposed to be taken out. And all of a sudden, yet again, I had to go, now where is this story going? Wait, actually, I do allow resurrections now. (laughs) (laughs) It was a beautiful moment for everyone except me. Well, you figured it out, right? You made it work, so that's what matters. In fact, what it then caused me to do is say, well, actually, where is this story going? And it created better opportunities. It actually made the story better because it made sense why the characters did things and the world actually became bigger as a consequence of it. So it was actually a win. Yeah, it takes some perspective and, again, some experience to kind of see things like that instead of just say, oh, that destroys everything and now I don't know what to do. Quick thinking, improv, and then opportunistic thinking in the future, right? Okay, well, how can I make this or twist this to my advantage or make an interesting story out of it still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love it. My players recently, we just finished a three-year-long campaign, and they just wow. kind of said, well, we're going to go into the villain's lair now. And I said, oh, next session, we're doing this. Okay. And I spent all week figuring out all of the lieutenants and the minions and everything. All right, how are we going to set this up? Because we're doing it now instead of waiting <laughs> 10 more sessions or whatever. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. And same thing, right? Just had to say, all right, yeah, we'll do it instead of you guys should wait a little bit, go with what they say and make it work. And it turned out awesome. And now a word from How Not to DM's sponsors. Let's start with my friend Daryl from Splattered Inc. Introducing RPG Essentials, Acrylic Creature Tokens, a new type of gaming mini featuring hundreds of monsters from classic RPGs. All tokens have at least one variant available, such as different equipment or colors. They are beautifully illustrated on durable flat acrylic, so they are easy to store and carry, all at a fraction of the price of standard minis. Back today to secure your free Undead Dragon token. These are flat acrylic tokens. They're plastic. They've got the monsters printed on them. So they're flat, easy to store. There's going to be a bunch of different really cool ones, like he said. And yeah, you should check it out. I put the link in the episode show notes so that you can go check out the Kickstarter right now and get that free Undead Dragon token. But yeah, Daryl's a great friend of mine. He's done a ton of good work. He's got a bunch of really successful Kickstarters under his belt. I'm sure this one will be no different. Go check that out. Last but not least, I want to give a shout out to podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. Podcasteditors.online is the group that edits this podcast and they do an awesome job as you can hear. They also do actual play podcasts or any other kind of podcast that you may have. So 
take a look at their website at their great rates and see if you are interested in buying some editing hours a la carte. And if you tell them I sent you, you might get a little discount on your first couple of hours there of your podcast. So check that out. Videoeditors.online, also very useful if you are a YouTube creator, if you have any kind of video content, TikTok or Reels, short form YouTube shorts, they do it all. So go check out videoeditors.online if you're a video creator and you want to take advantage of that too. So same deal if you want to mention How Not to DM sent you, I'm sure they'll hook you up with some discounted hours to start. So yeah, check those both out if you are a podcast or video creator or both. With all that out of the way, let's dive into this week's version of Quickfire Chaos. Welcome to Quickfire Chaos! This week on Quickfire Chaos, Vahid and I are going to roll on some random D100 tables from the internet to create a scenario to roleplay. We'll start off with the NPC's voice. 68. They only speak in questions. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> nice, that's fun. All right, job. 13. Lamplighter. That's interesting. Wow. Personality trait. 50. Impious. Lacking piety and reverence for a god or gods and their followers. Okay, a little irreverent, a little impious. Interesting. All right, last one is... 36. An ornate ram's horn, which sounds regardless of whether it is being blown into or not. That's a little confusing because does that mean it's just always blowing? It's always bugling and you've got to hide it somewhere so that people don't know. It's like a car alarm or something. I don't know. I don't know. what. Wow. I didn't make these tables. I just use them. So it is what it is. I'll let you decide if that's really how it works or not. You're the DM. You get to fill in the blanks. So I will play Aarakocra Bard. So I've got maybe like a kind of like a Peregrine Falcon's feathers. That's how I look. Brown and white mottled chest. And I've got a harp that I'm carrying. That's what I'll look like and how you can find me. You can use that if you want. You don't have to. But yeah, I will be that bard. I will say that my name is Perry. Why not? Perry the Peregrine. He's very observant. (laughs) (laughs) Has kind of a killer instinct. And he moves quickly from place to place. Doesn't stay in one place too long. Okay. (laughs) You're going on the outskirts of this small city. It's growing close to dusk. When you hear the sound of sobbing. Oh. Well, uh... No, uh... No amount of sobbing that I can't cheer up with a tune from my harp. I will go look for who is sobbing and try to cheer them up a little bit with a merry song. Well, because you're such an observant falcon, coming around the corner, you see this thin, tall man. (laughs) He's just like shaking. (laughs) And his hand, he's got his big, long pole. (laughs) And he's using it to try to light a lamp, a city lamp that's right on the outskirts of the town. But he can't seem to do it because he's weeping. (laughs) So he's not actually able to get the candle that's on the end into the lamp. (laughs) I will kind of stroll up to him and strike a little pose as I strum my first chord and say, Fear not, friend. I am Perry and I am here to cheer you up. I see that you're having trouble lighting lamps. And I uh, sing him a lamplighter's tune that I know to cheer him up a little bit and say, can I can I help you with that? Uh, do you need a, a hand or a, a wing, as it were? Have you ever lit a lamp before? I've uh, lit my own lamps around my own campfire, you know. I, I've done a little bit. I've never lit one of these, but I think I could try. And did you write that song, that wonderful song? Oh, no, that's a, a very old lamplighter song uh, from a few cities north of us. Uh, but I can teach it to you if you like. Would you? Yes, yes, I will. Uh, where are you headed after your lamplighting duties? We could meet up then and, and, and talk. Are you an adventurer that wished to, that is, 
coming to help poor wrecks like myself who have lost their most prized possession? Uh, I can be. Yes, yes, I've been known to do many things and be many things to many people. I could be a hero for you. Uh, what is your name, good sir? You want to know my name? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, what do people call you? You might call me Looper. Would you like that? I, I would. I would like that. Yes, yes. Well, well. If do you think you would be able to help a poor lamplighter find his long lost grandmother's hearing horn? I think I could help with that. Yeah, that sounds right up my alley. Uh, where where was the horn last seen? Uh, how is your hearing? rather than your seeing. My hearing is quite good as well. Uh, being a bard, I have a keen ear for song and for other things. What does the horn sound like? Well, have you ever heard of Derasir, the Cursed One? Derasir? It sounds strange on my tongue, but I have not heard of Derasir. I wonder if you have heard of how Derasir takes hearing horns from old grandmothers and curses them so that they always sound whether you blow into them or not. Oh, it sounds like quite the trickster. Perhaps something that I could write a song about later. I... This sounds quite interesting. I Please take me to where the horn was last seen. Take me to your grandmother and we can figure this out together. Shall we go now? I have nothing else to do. I'm in the mood for adventure. Do you think you have the skills to combat this cursed one? I think that if I don't have the skills, I can find someone who does. So our scene changes, and you find yourself in front of the grandmother's cottage on the outskirts of the town. It seems to be a family trait to be silently weeping, because <laughs> she is weeping <laughs> as oh, she rocks no. on a chair in front of her small shack. Can I cast message and message her? Because I know she's not going to be able to hear very well. Could I, like, telepathically communicate with her? Yes, get an extra inspiration for that. Nice. Yes, you can. Yeah, I'm going to ask her when she last had the horn and what she remembers about it disappearing. Well, she says it was cursed by the cursed one. Oh, to sound constantly, even when I put it up to my ear to hear, it would always be blowing. It was a most malicious affliction to be placed upon me. And so, in desperation one night, with the sound of the horn filling the night, I buried it somewhere in these grounds. But it was late at night, and I can't remember where I put it. And Looper says, Do you think you would be able to find it? Perry? I think so. Uh, Grandmother, could you sing me the note which it plays? <laughs> I try to kind of find the right string, and <laughs> I forget about that idea. All right, well, I will go start putting my ear to the ground and see if I can find this horn for you, and I'm, I'll start kind of stoop low and start moving my way back and forth across the yard. See if there's any, like, dirt that's been moved, maybe, or anything like that. Due to your excellent perception roll, your inspiration, <laughs> and the faint sound of <laughs> that you can hear slightly coming through a, a patch of earth near the turnips, you definitely find the location of where it needs to be dug out from. Alright. I go dig it up, and I return to um, the two on the porch, and I say, I have a friend who is good at removing curses. I'll go talk with him and bring this back in the morning. What did you say? Said Lupier. <laughs> I'll send Can her a message. Can you even hear yourself? <laughs> I'll send him a message with message and tell him what I said out loud. And then I'll try to shove like cloaks and stuff in it and like put it in my bag to see if I can muffle it at all. Nice. And as you travel to town with Lupier's long strides next to you, the sound of <laughs> is faintly heard, enough to cause people to look at you askance as you walk past them, but not enough to drive you insane. 
and you find the person, your friend, who can remove the curse. And having done so, Looper and the grandmother cover you with thanks of gratitude and offer you a hearty bowl of turnip soup. Well, I, uh, I haven't tried turnip soup before, but there's always a first for everything. This will make a great song. And I uh, start eating the turnip soup and pretend to like it even if I don't. Excellent. And thus <laughs> ends the story of Perry the Peregrine and the ornate Roam's horn that always blows. <laughs> I like that. I had no idea where you were going to go with it, so that's perfect. That was stupidly <laughs> funny. It was a crazy, crazy session. <laughs> it was very crazy. It was fun. A lot of fun. I didn't get the impious in there at all. I was too busy sidelined with the, what the heck do you do with a ram's horn that's always blowing? And how on earth you always ask questions? Yeah, it's like straight out of an improv game that you'd play like an improv group, the asking questions thing. That was fun. You did great. It was fun. Transitioning now to your work in TTRPG content and specifically Dice Legends, I'd love to know a little bit more about where the idea came from and then how it all kind of came together for you, you know, putting the crew together and figuring out streaming and putting that awesome set together, the whole story. To begin with, when a family member first showed me Critical Role, I sincerely thought, why would anyone want to watch other people play Dungeons and Dragons? I sincerely thought that. And here I am <laughs> a few years later on the other side of that conversation. Anyway, to begin with, I work in the media field. When I'm not doing this Dice Legend stuff, I work in the TV world. I'm a music composer, but I've also done sound design. I've done script writing. I've done animation directing. I've done a whole bunch of things in the TV world. So when you're doing sound design for TV shows, that's like the soundtracks behind, that's everything that kind of goes into that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've done all elements of sound from composing the music to doing voiceovers to recording other people doing voicing to doing the sound mixes to adding sound effects to creating Foley. The whole gambit of the sound stuff has really been my speciality, but I've also done some script writing and directing. As you know, the media landscape is changed so rapidly in the past 10 years with the kind of people abandoning scheduled television. And I'm really fascinated by new media forms. And streaming is one of the forms that I'm really fascinated by. So then when this family member showed me much more seriously this critical role, and I started watching, I started seeing actually the way that the audience interaction is, that actually there's a whole bunch of things going on here which are really cool. And having been playing D&D all my life, although it's a heavily, heavily saturated market, I mean, there's a zillion people that do it, but there still are some corners of that market that are available. There's still spaces, there's still audience. It's still not so saturated that there's not room for what we want to do. There are niches to be filled, yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's right. There's a whole bunch that are very similar to each other. But we could see that there were some niches of the stuff that we were interested in doing that would stand out from others. And so this family member and I, we threw around the idea a lot. We put some business concepts together. We went through the whole process of creating a business plan, went so far as to form a company and attracted some people to invest in our company and created the company structure and figured out how we want to do the technical elements and the creative, you know, all that kind of stuff. Before we even approached cast members, we figured out all of these bigger structural elements, which I know is different from the way a lot of people did it. Yeah, I was going to say that. Because we came from a point of view that we didn't want to enter this ocean of streamers from the hobby point of view and then build our way up. We wanted to enter from the professional point of view, because I do come from a professional television background, and then still be able to hone our product or our show. Let's not call it a product. It's a show. We wanted to be able to come in as strong as we possibly could. And the rationale behind that is, if we have a really polished product as quickly as we can, then that's more attractive to people to check us out to begin with. And if we use professional actors, then they create characters that are engaging. It's right from the beginning. Anyway, so then after all those large structural elements were in place, and we then started the interview process for our cast members. And we 
put a call out broadly and looked for people. And the first person we found is a guy named Ronnie, who's been a, on a lot of the TV shows that I've worked on. He is world famous in New Zealand. He is like one of the best television presenters of children's television ever. He is incredible. And I happened to catch him between shows. Because then a couple months later, he got another TV gig, but after he had signed up on us. Whoop, whoop, whoop. So he's brilliant. And then the next one we got on board was Raylene. She's of a theater background. The third person we got on board was Truby, who's the only person who'd also played Dungeons and Dragons. And he's a huge asset. And the fourth person we got on board was Monique. And we got her on board really like only a month before we started streaming. Then we did a few playtest sessions because... Only Truby and I of the five cast members had played Dungeons and Dragons before. So we did three practice sessions and then we were into the show. So there these guys were learning how to play as we were going. In terms of the other elements, the technical aspects, thanks to the TV background, I've got a lot of friends who are able to advise me on how to set up the cameras, how to multicam, how to use the software and set it up. We've got friends who do graphics, so we pay the people that do our graphics for us. We do live vision switching, so it's not just on the same shot the whole time. So we've got a live vision editor who does live editing, and we've got live sound who triggers sound effects and the music who triggers music and knows the palette of music and sound effects so he can transition smoothly from one piece of music to the next. And then in terms of the set, we hired a set designer, again, because we know people in the industry. And we decided right from the beginning that because it's a kind of Constantinople, Istanbul style setting that we wanted to have that kind of golden stone that you see throughout Israel and Turkey. And so we then built the set around that. If you watch our first episodes, you'll see that I didn't have the full set. I didn't know exactly what I wanted. We just had the walls. And then as the series went on, we've built onto it. We've added some cool lamps. We've added some bookshelves. We added some gonfalons and some props. And now it's looking really nice. That was a big blob of talking, but that's how it came together. Yeah, no, it's okay. That's exactly what I was asking. So that's awesome. Um, when you decided that you wanted to tackle this project, did you have any goals in mind then? And then have you been able to achieve some of them? And then how have they kind of morphed over time as you've uh, continued to make the show? When we did our business plan for the business, one of the things that you do in a business plan is you say, what is the purpose of your business? right? Yep. What is the mission statement? What is the whole purpose for this business existing? And if you don't have that, then you've got nothing. The purpose of our business is, and uh, I'll just read this straight from our business plan, is to inspire minds and engage imagination through the world's most exciting fantasy story. Now, we're not claiming that we have the world's most exciting fantasy story, but we are claiming that that's what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to inspire minds and engage imagination through the world's most exciting fantasy story. We may never get there, but that's the compass point that we're aiming towards, that we're trying to create the most exciting fantasy story. You'll notice that the words Dungeons and Dragons don't feature in that at all. We view that Dungeons and Dragons is merely a mechanic system that helps create unpredictability and balance between the characters so every character has their moment to shine. So ours at its heart is actually a fantasy story that just happens to use D&D as opposed to a Dungeons and Dragons game that has a bit of story to it. And I think that we've been really pleasantly surprised with how that inspiring minds and engaging imagination has manifested. When people send fan art in, or when they engage in chat and they give predictions, like on our Discord server, we have a specific section around plot thinking and where do you think the story's going and a spoiler zone. And to get where people say, oh, I think what's going to happen is that, you know, is definitely engaging the imagination. We've had people 3D print spears for us to replicate the magical spearhead that our fighter has found. It's incredible. And to see the community grow through Discord is astonishing. Of course, as a company, we also have to have some numerical goals as well. And to be honest, my numerical goals were way, way inflated. They were far more ambitious because I'm an overly optimistic person. So we haven't hit all the numerical goals that we wanted to hit, but we've achieved a lot that we are really pleased with. One of our goals is to be in those kind of upper tiers of fantasy streamers within three years. That's what we're aiming for. Speaking of, I know that you recently 
got your stats from Twitch, right? And that you are in the top 1% of Dungeons & Dragons streamers for the year. What a wonderful surprise that email was, I tell you that. Yeah. Honestly, I wouldn't have thought so. It was really such a pleasant surprise. Really fun to see. And I guess it's a nice reminder that your work is being noticed and it's uh, making an impact. Yeah. You know, so I think that with these four actors that we have as cast members, they are incredible. And the production value that our technical team and our graphics team put in, I think they do a good job of making it look good and sound good. So we really hope that people will enjoy the story. We know that they connect with the characters. And we just hope that we can continue to grow and grow. And what it's all about now is connecting with more people and growing our audience. That's what it's all about. Because I'm pretty happy technically with where we are at the moment. There's always room for improvement, of course, right? You can always make prettier graphics and you can always get more music and more sound effect. But that's not nearly as important as connecting with people. Right. I was going to say those things, while you can focus on them, probably don't get you closer to your goal necessarily, right? Versus other things could. Yeah. Yeah. What do you feel like has been the most rewarding part of having your show? Uh, or maybe what's been a really fun connection or connections you've made thus far? It is so fulfilling to have the interaction with the audience and to hear outside of the stream or in the stream their comments. Just recently, for example, we had a stall at our first ever con. It's a local con here in New Zealand called Armageddon. And to have people come up to us and ask us if they can take selfies with us. It's just like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, people asking for autographs is like, that's just ridiculous. But very nice, of course, very kind. And I think Discord has been an eye-opener for me. To see a community grow in Discord of this really kind, friendly, accepting, loving community, I think is the most rewarding part of the whole thing, for sure. And we've had a couple of people say, hey, that they're thinking of running a game with their friends or in one case with their family, and they want to set it in the same setting as our story. Well, that is pretty <laughs> fulfilling too. Yeah, that's kind of like when you know you've made it when other people are like, well, I'm going to use your story. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> like, are you sure that that's what you want to use? That's awesome. That sounds uh, like a ton of fun. I'm actually planning on attending a local convention soon as well, and I'm really excited about it. I'm not expecting to have a ton of people ask to take selfies with me, but it will be fun to um, hang out with some of my other friends who have local podcasts, and I'm sure they'll be the ones who kind of get that sort of attention, but I'm really excited to see how it goes. My last question before we kind of wrap things up is about the TTRPG scene in New Zealand. I'm sure, like the rest of the world, it is seeing a lot of growth, but yeah, just tell us a little bit about like how it has changed in the time that you've been there and what it's like now. When I first started playing, it was the stereotype of us nerdy, geeky guys and the occasional really brave young woman who would be interested, who would be playing. But then that changed as we all grew older and more women have started playing. And with fifth edition, it's really brought in because right from the beginning with thinking of backgrounds and stuff like that, it's encouraged a lot more people who are interested in acting and now... One of the research we found out when we were researching our business is 40% of D&D players are female and 40% are under the age of 25. Well, when I first started, that was not the case at all. So we've seen this massive growth and we see that the bounds of what story and character are based on have really changed. One of the things that here in New Zealand is people love to be able to weave into the story flavors from Aotearoa, which is the name for New Zealand, and to make the content and the characters connect with our local reality. One of the things that's really interesting that's happened within the last year is an informal group called Kiwi RPG has started up, which is exploring some structural elements, which will allow us as a collective of game designers and streamers and podcasters to be able to collectively encourage each other and further our own collective ambitions. So that's really interesting. Overall, the hobby itself is just growing and growing and growing. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing. That's amazing. The last question here is really about your best advice that you've got for people out there running games. And then also I'd like to hear advice from your perspective on 
jumping into a TTRPG content project and maybe not necessarily a stream, but like high level, what advice you'd give to someone who's considering taking the leap and, and you know, how they can make that work for them? I think the first thing to consider is, before even looking at any mechanics, is to remember that story is based on character, that character drives story. This is the basis of all novels, of all films, of all television shows. So work with your players, talk to them about their character, make sure that their character has a reason to be in your world and that your world is molded by their characters. Talk to the players and work on character. Character comes first. The next thing I would really advise if you're new to being a DM is get a group that is kind. Get some nice people, some kind people, some supportive people around you. It doesn't need to be four, it doesn't need to be six. It can be one or two that aren't going to be hard on you. You don't want a group like I had at one point of someone sitting in the corner saying snide remarks or comparing you to someone famous or something like that. And the next thing is have courage. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. It's just a fantasy story. You're making it up. Mistakes schmush makes. It doesn't matter. Rule schmools. That doesn't matter. Just have courage and just move forward. And the final thing is related to that is if you don't know the rule, just make it up. It doesn't even matter. If you get it wrong, say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. We'll get it right next time. Just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Because the movement of the story is far, far more important than accuracy of rules. And when in doubt, let the players have their moment of glory in the sun. (laughs) It's far better for a player to do something cool and have a great session than say, I'm sorry, that's not the way Fireball works. (laughs) Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Definitely something I catch myself doing and am still working on, but I, I love the advice. Lastly, where can people find you online? Where can people find Dice Legends? And then any upcoming things you want to plug here? Thanks for giving us this spot. We really appreciate it. People can find us at Dice Legends everywhere. So Legends is spelled L-E-G-E-N-Z, like New Zealand. Or N-Z for the rest of the English-speaking countries. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I was translating for your benefit. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. What we really want is people to watch us live on Twitch. If you're not watching us live, watch us on YouTube. And we want people to leave comments and like and subscribe and all that kind of stuff to tell the algorithm to share it with other people. And in terms of things that are coming up, we're about to launch into our second year of the show. Later in January, we will be launching our second year of the story and really excited to see what's going to happen because our story finished with our team of heroes divided, having suffered some personal loss, but having successfully accomplished a significant mission. So it was a bittersweet end to the last year and lots of excitement to come. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Vahid. It's been great to chat with you. It's been great to watch Dice Legends and get sucked into the story, just like the rest of your awesome fans. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about running games, about your wealth of knowledge and experience. And I've definitely learned some things today from you, and I'm sure other people have too. So really appreciate it. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful holiday season as we're recording this before uh, we get into the thick of it and a fantastic new year. Thank you so much, Derek. It's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed that mini game. I love chatting with you about your insights and what you, you know, how you do things. It's really instructive and the whole channel is brilliant. Thank you for everything you've done and and inviting us to be on here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, Zachary Burrell, showrunner of Warlock and player on the actual play podcast, Severed Sons. So my advice running, getting started in, in, in as, a, as a DM is trust your players and communicate with them. I feel like there is no level of communication that is too much between a game master and their players about expectation, about where they want to go, what they want to do, what kind of a session they want. I feel like it is collaborative storytelling for a lot of people. To hear more about Zach's advice for running games, the many sources of influence he had for Warlock, and what it's like to run a show with so many different voice actors spread across the globe, 
tune in next week. Quick reminder here to check out Diversity Saves if you've got a second, to see what they're all about, and to find a way to support them if you can. And lastly, another reminder about the open game license. I hope that you will all consider supporting third-party creators a little bit more if you can. I've featured a ton of really great ones on this show, either as guests or as advertisers in my mid-rolls. So if you have a few dollars to spend this week, this month, and you were thinking about buying something from Wizards, perhaps think about supporting one of these great third-party creators instead and putting your dollars where it counts. Thank you. Here's a friendly reminder to rate and review the show and share it with friends and family who play TTRPGs too. New reviews will be read at the end of episodes as a thank you. Thanks to the team at T4C Studios for the help editing and producing this episode. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music that plays underneath while we're roleplaying is by my buddy Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And, as always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.